Praise the Lord. Let's pray, and we're going to start reading in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Actually, we'll read, and then we'll pray. The Apostle Paul's letter to the church, churches, actually, probably, in Galatia, chapter 5, verse 16. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is your word, that you are here with us in your word, that we can say amen to the truth that comes from, comes through and lives in your word. We pray that you would open our hearts today to receive the things that are here. I include myself in that prayer, Lord. Help me not to say anything that obscures or confuses your word, Lord, only things that are transparent to what you have to say, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a famous passage for believers and for good reason. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it. In case you're not, just in case you're not familiar with these things, good chance some of you aren't here in this, in this room. Uh, this is from a letter written by Paul, who was a man who started out life as a religious zealot. That's sort of the beginning of his life. He was a man extremely dedicated to his religion, Judaism at the time. Uh, He actually spent his time trying to stop the spread of Christianity in the very beginning of the church. That's how he started out his religious career. But then when he was on a mission to the city of Damascus, which was north of where he lived, Jesus literally appeared to him and stopped him in his tracks, knocked him off his horse, as the story goes. This happened to him. And at that point, he became not an opponent of Jesus, but a follower of Jesus. And then, after that, he spent his life traveling around the rest of the Roman Empire, which is where he lived at the time, about 2,000 years ago, spreading the message and the teachings of Jesus, and founding Christian communities in all the different cities where he would stay for a little while, any place that he could. And what we call the book of Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to several churches in the area of the world that the Romans called Galatia. It's actually in the middle of what we call the country of Turkey today. If you look up Galatia, you'll get an old map and sort of that middle swath of what we call Turkey is what the Romans called Galatia. And Paul did this a lot when he traveled. He not only traveled and taught, he wrote letters to all different places, and he used his letters to teach the churches things they needed to know about Jesus and to address problems that they were facing when he wasn't there to address them in person. And this particular passage is famous, as I said, because of the kinds of things that it teaches about the Holy Spirit, really amazing things, and especially in verses 22 and 23, they're famous 
because of what they tell us about the Christian life. Uh, if you have spent time reading the Bible, there's a good chance you have read these verses or have these verses on a plaque in your house so that your kids can read them and remember what they're supposed to remember. Uh, things like that. Just let's get this to be the flavor of this house, please, you know. Uh, so just famous verses. If you're not a believer in Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ here this morning, if you came to church for some reason because someone brought you or, I don't know, maybe you want a life change or something, you know, let me try that church down the road. The things we're going to talk about today might seem a little strange to you, but I just want to submit just a couple things before we get into what we're going to look at today. The first is, as I was studying, if you look at verses 19 and 20 and 21, that long list of, we'll call it negative things that Paul lists there, don't you actually feel like the things listed there starting in verse 19 are the things that are ruining the world? If we're really honest, I just want to talk about where we are today. Those are the things that are ruining the world. And what we're going to talk about this morning is a way to get beyond those things in your personal life. A lot of us wish we could hit a button and change the world, but what we're going to talk about is a way to get beyond those things for you personally. And if more and more people understood this, and more and more people got beyond these things in their personal life, then society really would start to change. Just throwing that out there, right? One person at a time. Second, if you look at verses 20, 19, 20, and 21, and then you look beyond verses 22 and 23, and you actually you, you think, those are the things that I want. I want those things in that verse. We just want to present to you today that what God is saying in his word is actually the only way to truly have the things listed in verses 22 and 23. And the first step in this whole process is to actually begin to realize who God is for real, to have the revelation of the knowledge, the clarity of the knowledge of who God is, and actually how to get close to him. And so just really quickly, a few just to set the stage, verse 16, look at that word, the flesh. You see it in verse 16, verse 17, verse 19. The flesh you could just call it humanity without God. The flesh is who we are when God is not in our life. If all you have is your humanity, what you're going to think, how you're going to feel, what you're going to do, one of the ways the Bible talks about that is the flesh. It's how you know, all of us are until we begin to follow Jesus. 100% of humanity until they become followers of Jesus exists in a state that the New Testament would just call the flesh. In verse 19, you have the works of the flesh. Well, what is that list? That less is just the things that we all do if all we have is our humanity. If all we have is what we were born with, we don't have God in our life, that's who we, who we are and what we do. Who is now the Spirit? Verse 16, 17, 18, 22. Well, the Spirit is God. If you're familiar with the teachings of the New Testament, the Spirit is, we would say, God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, Christians use these terms. The only God who exists, exists as a union of three people, three persons, you would say, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. And the Spirit is God with us, right? So then what does it mean to walk in the Spirit, verse 16 and verse 18? Well, it's a metaphor, right? Step by step, you know, a few feet at a time, depending on how long your legs are, maybe two feet, maybe four feet. Baron takes long strides, right? Um, uh, sorry, threw myself off there. Step by step, ordering your life, decision by decision, thought by thought, day by day, 
according to the desires and the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. So finally, verse 22, what does the fruit of the Spirit mean? By the way, what time do we usually end here? This is actually really important. Setups. Anybody? Can anybody help me? Robin, what time do we leave? end? You don't know. Robin's like, I don't know what time we end. All right, great. Either, either do I. <laughs> okay, so what? <laughs> Sorry. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Greg just called me and told me to go however long I want, so. What is the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is what happens emotionally and practically in the life of anyone who has the Spirit of God. So when you have God's Spirit living in you, it changes things. Because as I said, now you don't only have your own desires. You're not in what the Bible will call the flesh. You don't only have your regular human nature you were born with and your natural personality. You also now, after you've trusted Christ and he's done this in your life, you also have God's spirit dwelling in you because you trust in Jesus Christ. This experience begins when a person has what Jesus calls the new birth happen to them, right? When they go through that experience. And the fruit of the spirit is what happens in the life of someone who's also, you could say, in communication with God. When you're attentive to God, when you're paying attention to God, what happens is that and, and we know this, most of us, right? You want to begin to organize your life so that you can understand what God's doing and saying in the world and so that you can get on board with God's plan that he's working out in the world. So that's what the Holy Spirit produces in a life when he's active in that life. And when God is actively working in your life, when he's living in your soul, these things in verses 22 and 23, these are the things that happen inside of you and these are the things that shape your actions so that they come out of you too. That's why it's called fruit. It's not just that the apple is, the spirit of the apple is inside the tree. It's that there's actual apples hanging on the branch. So you can look and say, oh, that must be, you know, golden delicious or whichever you like, right? That's an apple tree. So this is the fruit, to go back to the metaphor, of living in step, life in step with God, right? To talk about walking in the spirit, if you combine the metaphors, this is the fruit that's produced. Now, the fact that that is true, the fact that it's true that God produces this fruit in my life is massively important. We need to know that these are the things that are produced in the heart of any man or woman who lives their life in close connection to God. It's super important this day and age because most people don't know this. This is how you get to these things, right? Super important. But this morning, I actually thought that we'd take a few minutes to back it up a step and explore something a little more fundamental that we can learn from this passage. So here's what I want to zero in on this morning. Why are these the things that are produced in our lives when God is active in them? Why is this the fruit of the Spirit? And my short answer to that question is just this. The reason these are the things that are produced in our life when God is active in them is because these are the things that are true about God himself. They are who he is and what he's like. They describe his qualities. In other words, God produces these things in our lives because he is just like this. And he, he rubs off on us, so to speak, you could say. The more that we have him in our lives, the closer we, we are with God and the more time we spend cultivating our relationship with him, the more like him we become. Now, if this is true, if what I just said is true, it brings up, I think, a really interesting question. And just illustrate the question. I uh, thought of a little example here. Uh, just imagine that you had a friend 
I usually teach like young adults and teenagers, so my illustrations are, tend to just run this way. Imagine you had a friend who was really not a good athlete at all, just never been a good athlete, right? Some of you guys, I can tell you're still in your prime, still probably playing at the local court, you know, hitting, hitting, hitting the hoops, right? Um, that was supposed to be a joke, but don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> I also am past my prime, so I'm with you here. Imagine you had a friend who had never been able to hit the hoops, just totally uncoordinated. And then imagine one day you're hanging out with him and he just sort of drops that he's hanging out with somebody new. Like, oh, I got this new friend, you know. And you're like, all right, cool, you know. And then a few months later, you're hanging out with this friend again and he comes up, he's dribbling a basketball. And you're like, oh, I've never seen you do that. And he's like, come on. And he throws the ball to you. He's like, let's hit the court. And you're like, all right, whatever, man, you know. So he dribbles all the way down to the court and you're like, well, this is new. This, didn't see this coming. And then he's like, check it up, let's go. Like, you want to play? All right. <laughs> I know how this ends, but... And then he just, like, destroys you, right? It's 10 nothing, and he drains a three to, to, to seal it and win the game. And you're like, okay. Where did you learn that? And he goes, oh, that new friend I've been hanging out with, I've been telling you about. Now, if he said that to you, what would you conclude about the new friend? You'd be like, that guy must be some athlete to take you and make you into like, you know, Steph Curry or something. Like, this is incredible, right? To make you into an athletic wizard, he must be amazing. So again, look at the list in verse 19 to 21. One of the things that's happening in that list is that it's pointing out what kind of people we all are before we're changed by God. I'm not... Now, I'm not saying we all do all the things. In, some of you are looking at that list and you're like, oh, I never, right? I'm not saying we all do all the things in that list. Probably we all only do a few of the things in that list. What I'm saying is we all have some of the things in our lives in that list. And probably, if you're like me, you ignore the things in that list that are in your life and you look down on the people who have the other things in that list that you don't have. Like, <laughs> I'm not like, right? I mean, that's just normal human nature. I'm sure most of you have gone past that, but... There's probably only a few people in the whole world that have done all those things. And, you know, we probably know their names. They're famous for not good reasons. But what I'm saying, again, is all of us have some of those things in our lives. So the point of verses 22 and 23 is that the Holy Spirit can take people who are like verses 19 through 21. He can take people like that. And he can turn them into people who are described by verses 22 to 23. And if he can do that, what does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about God if these are the things that happen in us and through us, if the Holy Spirit is in our life? And what does each one of these fruits, or depending on how you like to read the list, each one of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, what does each thing in the list individually tell us about God himself? So I think the most basic way to answer that question is just to, is just to look at the list now, one at a time, and say simply, well, God must be like this. So look at the first one. Look at love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, verse 22. If closeness to God produces love in someone's life, what does that tell us about God? Well, you could say God must be a very loving person. God must be very loving. At the most basic level, you realize something like this for every one of the things in, these, in, in this verse. But it's even bigger and better than what we would learn about another human being by meeting someone who'd spent time with them. Because the Bible's clear, and just to get this right off the bat, it's important for the whole study, that one big difference between us and him 
is that unlike us, God is infinite. A lot of you know this. You studied a little theology. And that the fact that God is infinite, it doesn't just tell us how big God is, like he's, he's out of the outer reaches of the solar system. It's not just about his size. The fact that God is infinite has to do with everything that he is. There's a great passage on this in Thomas Oden's book called Classic Christianity. I just want to read this to you. Oden says, The infinite is that which has no end, no limit, no finite boundary, and thus cannot be measured or timed by any finite standard. It is only when infinity is attributed to God that the concept has precise, plausible, and consistent meaning. All of God's good qualities are said to be without end or limit. All of God's good qualities are said to be without end or limit. So infinity applies to every divine attribute, for God is infinitely merciful, infinitely holy, infinitely just. So let's read the list with that in mind, that these things tell us about God and that he is infinitely like this. So again, love in verse 22. If closeness to God produces love in someone's life, what does that tell us about God? And now I think we can see that this doesn't only tell us that God must be very loving, it tells us something more like God is the most loving person there has ever been, full stop. In fact, the Bible says he is love. Love is at the core of his being. It's an essential ingredient in his goodness. He's infinitely loving. There's no end to his affection, no end to his goodwill, his willingness to sacrifice. He wants good things for everyone everywhere. He's self-giving and big-hearted, holding nothing back with no end. He even became human. We know this. He even became human so he could do the ultimately loving thing and die for us. He's never small-hearted, tight-fisted, hateful. He is only generous all the time. Or what about the second word in this list, joy? If closeness to God produces joy in someone's life, what does that tell us about God? God must be a very happy person. Anyone here, have a, you have a friend who's just down all the time? You know, Eeyore? Morose is a good word. It's all good. We love those people. Don't look at someone in the room if it's them. It's all good. Do that. That'll just make it worse. But God isn't like that. God isn't like that. God is joyful. And because of who he is, he must be, see where we're going with this? Infinitely joyful. Infinitely happy. Think about that. Infinite happiness. What does that even mean? Infinite happiness. He is infinitely emotionally resilient, never simply ruffled or offended. He's never grumpy or sullen or bored or irritable. He's never detached or disinterested. He is eternally optimistic, excited about the future, and engaged in the present. Here's one more quote from that guy, Thomas Oden. So cool. God finds eternal joy in being. There can be no desire to cease to be in the one who is insurmountably blessed and wise. God can never wish to end God's own life. That would be unthinkable, since it would be inconsistent with God's blessed enjoyment of life. God exists in the fullest imaginable sense. Simply being, Odin says, is a source of infinite enjoyment to the one who incomparably is. God could never yearn to be less than God in full plenitude. That's a great sentence. God could never despair over being God in the fullest sense conceivable. The joy that comes from being is eternal joy. Thus it is said that God is infinitely, simply, 
sorry, infinitely happy simply and eternally to be. Of course, one thing this means is that when God loves us, he doesn't love us so that he can fill some need in himself with our friendship. He doesn't need anything. He can love us out of the infinitely deep well of his own happiness. So what will it produce in my life if I get really close to someone who is infinitely happy in himself? Talk about a friend rubbing off on you. How about in verse 22, peace? If closeness to God produces peace in someone's life, what does that tell us about God? God is the kind of person who can take someone who is all torn up inside or anxious or angry or hurt and produce peace. Doesn't that sound great? And the reason that God does that is that he is in himself the most peaceful being in the universe. Nothing worries him. Nothing stresses him out. He has an infinite capacity to handle the issues of life without descending into anxiety. He is never anxious. Isn't it good news that there's a person in the universe who is never anxious? Don't we need at least one? And it's him. He's never apprehensive or annoyed or aggravated. Think about what good news this, what good news this is. The creator of the universe cannot be thrown off. An author named A.B. Simpson says, when someone has true closeness to God, I love this quote, A.B. Simpson, it brings into the spirit the abiding presence of the very God of peace himself. True peace is nothing less than the deep divine tranquility of his own eternal calm, said of the Lord. Or how about long-suffering, the next word. Long-suffering means patience. A lot of you know this. It also has the idea of endurance, right? A history of closeness to God in a life produces the ability to endure difficult things without giving up. It also produces the ability to stick with difficult people without abandoning them. So this is true. If hanging out with God, so to speak, makes me better able to press on through difficult things, what does that tell me about God? It tells me that God is infinitely patient. He has an infinite ability to put up with me and every other difficult person in the world for all time. He has an unending capacity, an unending capacity for putting up with the messes that we've made. Now, of course, he won't put up with humanity's messes forever. We know that, right? He's not going to put up with the mess that humanity's made forever. But it's not just because he couldn't handle it anymore. He's not like, oh, man, in 2023, I'm just going to be up to here. <laughs> That's not the issue. Whenever God unleashes judgment in the world, it's not because he just finally lost control, like us. It's because his love and his wisdom dictated that it was time to cut some situations short. It, was because, it wasn't because, excuse me, he just couldn't put up with us. He could put up with us forever because he has infinite patience. How about verse 22, kindness? If closeness to God makes someone more kind, what does that tell us about God? You know, kind isn't really a cool word, right? We don't use the word kind. We say like, um, we say nice. But nice, nice isn't a great word, is it? Nice can just mean they don't make anybody mad. Sometimes nice is kind of an insult, right? Like find out, you know, again, I hang out at young adults group. Girls like find out, you know, their friends dating someone. They're like, oh, what's her, what's her boyfriend like? He's nice. 
It doesn't say God is nice. I'm glad it doesn't say that. Nice. Kind is a much bigger word, right? Kind means there's some active goodwill that goes out from the person and does good things in the people's lives around them, right? Some active good kind is just going out. Closeness to God will make you more like that. Active goodwill that goes out and does good things in the lives of the people around you because God is infinitely kind. He is always considerate. He always knows what's best and wants what's best for everyone. Theologians say things like, he always wills the good of everyone. He wants the best for everybody. He's never mean or vindictive or tight-fisted. He wants everybody to be happy and healthy and whole forever. Now, I'm not saying that if God is in your life, you will always feel happy and healthy and whole right now, right? Especially if you're sick or you're going through a trial. I'm just saying that God doesn't like it when we're sick and going through trials. That's not, that's not in, he's not up in heaven deriving joy from that. And in fact, he's working to make a world where no one will ever be sick or go through trials again. His desire, because he's kind, is for all of that to be gone. God isn't happy with pain. God has infinite kindness for his whole creation. He wants the planet clean and healthy. He wants all the animals doing good. And he wants men and women enjoying it all and living full lives forever. He wants you to be, able, to be able to overcome trials and to know that you're loved. And he wants you to be close to him so you can be full of life like he is full of life. Because God is infinitely kind. And that goes right into the next one, goodness. It's another word we don't maybe use in the right way. Goodness means, here's a dry definition, but it's good. A positive moral quality characterized by interest in the welfare of others. If closeness to God makes someone good, what does that tell us about God? God must be infinitely good. He's never evil. He doesn't have a dark side or skeletons in his closet, right? He doesn't have a past. You're going to find out about Wikipedia. You're like, I didn't know about that part of God's history, right? You know, in our culture, we've lost the ability even to create characters like that in our stories, haven't we? The closest we're getting these days is like Captain America. He's all right. People kind of make fun of him, though, right? Most of our characters are more like Iron Man. We love Iron Man, but man, all those tragic flaws, you know? God doesn't have a tragic flaw, right? He doesn't have a quick temper or a pet vice or a secret bad habit that he nurses, You'll never catch him being someone other than he's always shown himself to be. You won't catch God smoking behind 7-Eleven. Right? No offense to you if you smoke behind 7-Eleven. Jesus loves you. He just has better things, bigger things for you in your life, right? God doesn't love things that are mean or things that break people down or ruin things. He only builds, grows, heals, cleans, and loves. When God's around, things are good. Things work. Things live and grow. People get fixed, right? That's why you go to church. He'll never do you wrong. Only good things come from knowing him. In fact, he's so good. His presence alone will heal the whole world. He is infinitely good. So he's going to heal the whole universe. The whole universe. Look at the last one in verse 22, faithfulness. If closeness to God makes someone more faithful, more consistent, better to depend on. What does that tell us about God? God is infinitely faithful. Isn't this great? 
I almost could just stop. You could do the rest yourself, right? But let's keep going. God, God never lets anyone down. He never has. He doesn't have limits. He doesn't get tired and give up. He doesn't get discouraged. You can depend on him forever for anything. You can bank everything on God, and he'll always come through. He never lies. He never drops the ball. He never changes course on a whim. He's the same today that he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow because God is infinitely faithful. Look at verse 23. Gentleness. Closeness to God will make you more gentle. Why? Because God is infinitely gentle. That's a weird one, isn't it? Here's a quote about what that word means. Gentleness is the flavor, this person said, the flavor someone gives off when they're not overly impressed by a sense of their own importance. So you could also translate this humility, meekness, courtesy. So God, who is the most infinitely important being in the universe, the most infinitely strong being in the universe is infinitely gentle. He's able to control his own strength in order to make it do only good things. He knows how to handle delicate situations and fragile people. Even with all his power and his importance, he doesn't have a craving to impress. Isn't that crazy? Think of Jesus, right? Jesus is the picture of this, just saying, I'm meek. That's the same word here as gentleness. And lowly in heart. Jesus is a human picture of God's infinite gentleness. What about the last one? Self-control. Closeness to God will make you a more self-controlled person. God is infinitely self-controlled. He's always completely in command of his emotions and his actions. He never lashes out in anger or reacts in hurt or selfishness. Whenever God does something, it is infinitely thought through and completely in keeping with his love and his wisdom. Again, I don't know about you, but thinking about God this way makes me want to worship him. Doesn't it make you just want to worship him? Right? A lot of us have been let down by a lot of people. The people closest to us have failed to be what they should have been. That's true of many, many of us. And maybe worse, maybe it's not just they failed to be. Maybe, they, maybe there was active evil that came through them into your life. Not just failure, but worse. And that's true for so many of us. Let down. But here's the good news. There is a being who's closer to you than your father because he made your soul. He's more powerful than the president. He's wiser than your teachers and coaches. He sticks closer than a brother because he's God. And that means he is infinitely loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. You want the good news? That's God. That's God. That's who made you. That's who invites you, look at verse 16, to walk with him. He's like, come walk with me. Come hang with me. I know the world's messed up. Everything out there is anxious and hateful and vindictive and hurt and broken, but not God. Let's walk with him. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the works of the flesh are evident and it's what's breaking everyone and everything down. And during his life, Jesus himself showed us these things. 
He showed us what it looks like in a human life. He displayed God more perfectly than we could have actually even imagined. It's awesome to do what we just did here and just think about this being of infinite everything. But you can just look at the life of Jesus and you can say, oh, that's what it looks like. There's God looking out of human eyes, doing it in a human way with other people that are just like us. And think of the cross. Think of what it means that Jesus hung there to die in our place and to take the penalty for our sin and to face death for us. And think about how it's, it's right there that God most clearly displayed these qualities. His love and his patience and his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness towards us that the wrath fell on Christ so that it doesn't have to fall on us. The infinite self-control of Jesus in enduring the wrath for our sin and the way it reveals the self-control of God himself and the love, of course, the love of God put on display for us as Jesus died there. The peace of God, it declared for all who believe and then even like it says in the book of Hebrews, all the fruit of the Spirit is there. It says in the book of Hebrews, the joy of God, which we saw in Jesus' willingness to endure the cross for us. Who but an infinite being could have ever walked the road that Jesus walked and endured the cross and died in our place? Who but someone who had infinite love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control would have ever even done this? It's one thing to say that he could do it, but he did it. He wanted to do it. And the more we look at him, the more we want to know him, the more it just, again, it just calls up worship in us. You know, again, our world is basically presenting to us a hundred stressful things. I could mention them by name, and we'd all be kicked right back into all the news that we look at and all the conversations we're incessantly having every day, right? We all know all that's going to bear in our lives is the works of the flesh. This is true. The fruit of the Spirit will be born in our lives by walking in the Spirit, but also by turning our eyes from all the insanity and just contemplating God. By learning to stop and say, am I not glad that there is a being whose happiness, for instance, is, is untouched by all the angst around me? I mean, his love is moved, but his happiness isn't touched. It's not ruining his day. He cares about what ruins our day because he's infinitely loving. But don't we need to know that it's not ruining his day? That when we come in prayer, we're not going to find him angry about what we're angry about. Wouldn't that be horrible? He's like, honestly, I need a minute. I'm so mad about what your boss did to you. And we're like, okay, God, but I actually kind of need you right now. He's like, I got my own problems, Brian. And I'm like, what would we do if he was mad at the same group of people we're mad at? Or if he was just as hurt as we were? What would we do? Isn't it hard when you go and you try, you try to lean on a friend and you find out they're just as broken down as you are? And you're like, oh, no. Isn't there anybody? And the answer is, yeah. Infinitely loving and infinitely joyful infinitely enduring and infinitely kind at the same time, infinitely strong 
and infinitely self-controlled. Closer than a brother. Closer than a brother. And able to give what we need and willing to supply our need. And I just think more and more this year, and something's telling me even more in 2022, we are going to need as followers of Christ to just major on beholding the Lord so that he himself can take care of our issues and fix our problems on the inside, right? 